Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. Jason Tatum put the Celtics on his back. Can Indiana keep up the pace in the playoffs? Plus, Joe Burrow will be back, but how good can he be in year two? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. The Boston Celtics took care of the Washington Wizards in the second play-in game, 118-100. to And even though they were favored in this game, it still seems like a somewhat surprising outcome. Joining me now from Lockdown Celtics, John Corrales. And John, this was a game in which Jason Tatum drops 50. Kemba Walker also plays one of his best games uh, in recent weeks here. If this is the version of the Celtics that we get moving forward, how dangerous can they be in the postseason? Well, I mean, they still have to go face the Brooklyn Nets. So, sure. <laughs> if, if I'm being real with it, that lull that they had in the second quarter, that they ended up down just two at halftime, they do that against Brooklyn. They're going to be down 20 at halftime. So, the second half version of the Celtics can maybe have a fight. Maybe they can put up a fight, but they're going to need to be much better. I mean, this is a great win. They needed this win, especially the way they finished this season. Uh, it was very important to get these extra few days of rest, but they they still displayed too much of the things that that make them where they are, a seventh seed. How excited are you to watch the Celtics and Kyrie Irving dap it up after every game in, in the playoffs? You know, I've I've moved past that personally. Like I know that I know it kills Celtics fans. I know it kills Celtics fans, I, and I understand it. But at the same time, what people need to understand is the NBA is not like any other basketball. That these guys actually do like each other, and despite the very legitimate feelings that the Celtics fans have towards Kyrie Irving, I fully understand it. These guys are just not going to operate on that level, so I, I just let it go. Like. If they, if they want to be friends, they can be friends. <laughs> this is something that I've talked to a lot of hosts about over the last week or two. And that is, you know, I don't think anyone is is going to pick the Celtics in a playoff series moving forward. Is there something to moral victories here? Because this is the core of the team that they're going to have in all likelihood moving forward. And so, you know, if there is something, maybe it it translates and maybe it helps them. What What is your take on that? This is going to be another thing that I'm going to say that the fans are not going to like. Yes, there is. There is something to moral victories here. And it's it's not that I want to sit there and say, oh, you played well. Good for you. They need to have something on record that says, you know what? This season, the circumstances of the season killed the Celtics and they were I know every team was adversely affected, but the Celtics were maybe the most adversely affected. They had the short turnaround. They had the Kemba Walker situation where they were preparing for him to return for the start of the season in January. And then all of a sudden, the start of the season became December. And now all of a sudden, they've that cost them games. So, And then the sped-up offseason cost them the Gordon Hayward situation. That I don't think they end up with a traded player exception if they have a normal offseason. I think they actually make a deal. So all of these different things kind of pile up, and then you start adding injuries and COVID. So the Celtics, 
need to go out there against Brooklyn and at least say, hey, we've got fight. They're probably, they're probably going to lose. And if they lose in four, maybe five, you know, maybe they can steal one somewhere. Uh, that That's not going to be unexpected. But if they go out and just lay down for four straight games, that's going to be a problem. But if they go out there and fight on national TV and have people come away from it go, going, oh, you know what? The Celtics were really good, and they they just got dealt some really bad hands. That's just going to help confidence-wise, going to help perception-wise, going to help everybody in a lot of intangible ways. Locked On Today is brought to you in partnership with Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, your new home for music, news, sports, and podcasts. Download the all-new Odyssey app today. Coming up, can the Pacers keep this up past the play-in game? That's next. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. It's the season of no-hitters. Tigers flamethrower Spencer Turnbull twirled the first no-hitter for Detroit since 2011, but far from the first this season in Major League Baseball. Through May 18th, we've had a whopping five official no-hitters, and you can make the case for six with Madison Bumgarner's seven-inning no-hitter earlier this year. The record for the most no-hitters in a season is eight. Back in 1884, the modern era record is seven, and given the current pace, we could get there by the All-Star break. I felt a pop, said Mike Trout. And while the news could have been worse for him and the Angels, well, still not great. Hey everyone, this is Brent McGuire with Locked On Angels. You have probably seen the unfortunate news that Mike Trout is going to miss the next six to eight weeks with a right calf strain. He injured it last night in the game. The Angels will be without Mike Trout for the next six to eight weeks. Uh, it goes without saying, this is a really big deal. I think you could argue that Trout is the most irreplaceable player in the majors, especially when you consider the context uh, for the Angels. Without him, they are not a very good baseball team. The Angels' playoff odds, whatever they were as of right now, just went down a lot. I mean, there's just no replacement for Mike Trout, and this just sucks. It sucks for Trout. It sucks for the Angels. It sucks for the league, and unfortunately, we have seen a lot more injuries this year, which is perhaps not too surprising given the circumstances of a shortened season last year and seeing players try to ramp it up. It was all business for the Penguins as they tried to tie up their series with the Islanders. Hey everyone, Hunter Hodes here of the Locked On Penguins podcast after the Pittsburgh Penguins just got a 2-1 to victory in Game 2 against the New York Islanders. Just a very professional performance, I thought, from the Penguins, especially in the third period. They defended it as hard as they have all season. Jeff Carter gets his first playoff goal. The Penguins, Ryan Rust, also gets his first playoff goal of this playoff season with Pittsburgh. And now it is a dogfight, best of five, as the series shifts to the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Union Hill. Tristan Jari, I thought, was also superb only allowed one goal on around 37, 38 shots. Definitely a huge bounce back for him. The Minnesota Wild pulled the upset in Game 1 versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Could they do it again in Game 2? Hello, it's me. I was hoping that the Wild would win so we could maybe sweep. But instead, we are tied because Marc-Andre Fleury was ridiculous all night. Hello from the Wild side. Through two games, we are now tied. Well, that was my attempt at spoken word to Adele's hello to recap the Wilds' 
three to one loss to the Vegas Golden Knights in game two of the series. Wild gave a much better fight here in game two. They played great in the first period, but they could not crack the riddle. That is Mark Andre Fleury. And so we head back to the XL Energy Center with this series tied at one game apiece. Why does it have to be Alex Tuck every time we play this team? Two goals tonight, and he's just haunting this team every time they play. White Sox manager Tony La Russa expressed disappointment in your mean Mercedes after his designated hitter swung at a 3-0 pitch and hit a home run in the ninth inning of a game Chicago was leading 15-4 over the Minnesota Twins on Monday night. Big mistake, La Russa said Tuesday. The fact that he's a rookie and excited helps explain why he was just clueless, but now he's got a clue. On Tuesday night, the Twins threw at Mercedes in retaliation, and after the game, LaRusa said, I don't have a problem with how the Twins handled it. I wonder if the rookie has a problem with how his manager is handling the situation. That's what happened last night. Here's what to look for today on betonline.ag. The NBA play-in games continue. The San Antonio Spurs play at the Memphis Grizzlies. The betonline.ag line is Memphis giving four then the nightcap. You could have made a lot of money before the season if you predicted that the Golden State Warriors would be playing in Los Angeles against the defending champion Lakers for the play-in. The betonline.ag line for this game is Lakers giving five. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Here is another story you need to know. It wasn't the most exciting game, but the NBA's play-in tournament absolutely delivered a surprise in a different kind of way. The Indiana Pacers beat down the Charlotte Hornets 144 to 117. Joining me now from Locked On Pacers, Tony East. And Tony, this was a, as I said, a surprising outcome in how it all played out. Not that the Pacers won, but that this was an extremely impressive game from a team that we knew had the talent but was not coming in at full strength, and and we just hadn't seen play at this level really all season. Yeah, I, I kind of discussed on Lockdown Pacers that I, I would pick the Pacers as a small favorite in this game, but just a small favorite. And then we found out the morning of the game that, oh, that Karis LeVert is out with health and safety protocols, probably the Pacers' best guard over the last few months, so... All of a sudden, it's like, well, they're more injured than we thought. They're playing a team that has their number with some weaknesses. This is going to be a tough game for them. All of a sudden, you don't consider them the favorites. And then they come out and play one of their best games of the season. Drop 144 points, eight guys in double figures. Their defense looked good. They looked really connected. It was such a crazy day of storylines and changing dynamics for the team. And then to see them come out in the first playing game and just look unstoppable at times was, was quite the day. And for all of it to happen through the backdrop of O'Shea Brissett, who was not on this team six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, comes out and is their leading scorer in uh, the playing game, really, I think, is emblematic of what this team has gone through over the course of the season. As we push this forward, I mean, what are the expectations here if this team continues to play this way? Yeah, Brissett's been one of the the better stories of the NBA season, one of the best late season signings like uh in Pacers history, maybe in NBA history, if we're being completely honest, Bjorken loves him and talks about how much work he's put into the game. Like you said, leading score in this game, despite not even being on the team until April started. So, it, you know, it, it's crazy how good he's been and the shot has been big for him. And it's reasonable to expect that he can continue to be good for the Pacers. So 
you know, as he continues to shine and look awesome. And I was joking with him on a Zoom call last week that O'Shea, like when you signed with the Pacers in April, did you ever expect that you'd be the primary guy guarding in a three game span? Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James, you know, and he couldn't <laughs> help but laugh. Like, how is this what I've become? But then in this game, you know, he shows why he's getting all these minutes and being tasked with doing so much stuff because he's really good at basketball. He's a really good cutter, really good shooter. And as he plays alongside, you know, Sabonis is an all-star drawing all the attention and dishing out nine assists. And Brogdon is really talented and had 16 points in assists. He's the perfect complement for this Pacers team. And he's a reason that they look so good in games like this and can be good going forward. Joe Burrow will be back, but how good will he be in year two? Our cue of the day is next. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I had one today. I split one with my wife. Afternoon snack. She loves them. I love them. And they, they have become an integral part of our day. Those late afternoon snacks when you just need a little something. You just got to get to dinner. And you don't want to grab for the chips. You don't want to grab for the cookies. But you want something that makes you feel good. That is delicious. Well, that's what Built Bar is. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each new flavor that they come out with are terrific. The problem is they're usually limited time offers because they sell out. So don't get left behind. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKS15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKS15 to get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. These delicious bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. So they taste great but they will not make you feel guilty. 15% off with the promo code LOCKS15 at BuiltBar.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the Day. Adam Schefter reporting Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow gets the all clear as we approach OTAs. Mini camps and, of course, training camp is just around the corner. Joining me now from Locked on Bengals, Jake Liskow and Jake I think we have to talk about Joe Burrow's year two in light of what we saw in year one. There were some good things that we saw. The offensive line, clearly a problem. They chose not to address that early in the draft, instead going with Jamar Chase. And I have to be honest, I have real questions about their ability to protect him, but they did add weapons here. So my question to you is, how good can Joe Burrow be in 2021 what kind of step can he take coming off this acl injury i think that for him a lot of it's going to come down to he is still losing development time he's still spending a lot of his offseason rehabbing and the team probably still has some steps to take to fully turn the corner with joe burrow at the helm but the weapons are pretty well in the top tier of the nfl at this point with jamar chase joining t higgins and tyler boyd in the wide receiver core Joe Mixon, a very good running back. I will put those weapons mm -hmm. against most teams in the NFL. So this is what I'll say about the offensive line. There are three guys that accounted for 50% of the pressures that the Bengals allowed in 2020. Those three guys accounted for 35% of the Bengals snaps on the offensive line. Obviously that's an overrepresentation of pressures to snaps. All three of those guys no longer with the team. Alex Redmond, Bobby Hart, no longer with the team. Mike Jordan technically still with the team, but I honestly think he's fighting for a roster spot. He was their starting left guard last year, was involved with the play on which Joe Burrow got hurt. They replaced Bobby Hart with Riley Reef. I think that is a clear upgrade, even if the guy is on the wrong side of 30. Jackson Carmen is expected to start day one at right guard. 
fair to question a position transition there, but the team is very high on his ability to hit the ground running. And Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins are both very fine starting offensive linemen in the NFL. A question at left guard, but a competition there with some veterans like Quentin Spain, Xavier Suofilo, and second-year player potentially in the mix, Akeem Adeniji. So some steps to take on the offensive line, but a coaching change could also make up some of that difference. For me, I still have concerns about what a Zach Taylor offense looks like. Is this the right guy to shepherd Joe Burrow into that that next echelon of players? Because what we saw last year, I think, points to a guy who says, okay, Joe, you can do the things that that made you so good at LSU. We saw them play a ton of empty to, to, to get the ball out, to, to play to Joe Burrow's strengths. How much of your faith in his ability to take that next step is tied into the fit there with Zach Taylor? I think there's a question there. I think that's fair to talk about. Zach Taylor, an unproven coach when he came to the Bengals, was not experienced, was a quarterback's coach. And I think the take at the time was, we're not going to know what Zach Taylor is until he's had some time to develop as a head coach. And he came into pretty exceptional circumstances. I think he met some of his coaching staff at the Senior Bowl for the first time when he, he started coaching the Bengals. And then... That seems suboptimal. Yeah. And then, and then you have the COVID year, right? And so it's a tough time to become a head coach, but obviously not insurmountable. You look at Kevin Stefanski and the Browns becoming a head coach in the COVID season. They do fine. And finally, Sabrina Ionescu has already left her mark, becoming the fastest player in WNBA history to record a triple-double. Ionescu had 26 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds to help New York beat the Minnesota Lynx 86-75 on Tuesday night, giving the Liberty their first 3-0 start in 14 years. It was also their first triple-double in franchise history at 23 years and 163 days. She is the youngest player in NBA history to accomplish the feat. The previous youngest was Deanna Nolan on May 21st, 2005. She was 25 years old and 269 days. Now that you've got the news, go make some money. Listen to Locked on Bets, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up Thursday is Steph Enough to will the Warriors pass LeBron and the Lakers. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today. Today.